Every word of God is pure, and all of Scripture has been given to us by the Holy Spirit by inspiration for our instruction in righteousness. That portion of Swarm is the basis for our meditation, and this New Year's meditation is found in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So far our text. Dear fellow redeemed, in Christ Jesus, who on this day was circumcised and given the name directed by God to Joseph and directed by God to Mary, given the name Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. Grace and peace be unto you from that Jesus. I've set out up front here four tools. It's important to have the right tool for the particular problem you're trying to solve. So if you've got a home improvement project going on, well, you might find this drill very handy, but probably not this particular card. But if you're going out grocery shopping, then the drill wouldn't be so helpful at the grocery store, but this credit card would probably help you get the groceries. And if you had a headache or body aches, you might find aspirin helpful, but probably not the drill very helpful. It would be important to have the right tool for the right problem. You and I have a problem that goes beyond a home improvement or a headache or needing groceries this day. The problem that we have, of course, is the problem we have with sin and with death. None of these tools are going to be effective in that problem against sin and death. None of these three. But God, had, God saw the problem we would have, and so he prepared special tools to be used to solve the problem of sin and death. May his spirit bless the study of the word he's recorded. As we take a look at the perfect tools used by Jesus, excuse me, used by God to save us. The opening verse of our text, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Sent forth is a fairly technical term. It isn't just to send someone to, just to say, go do this, but it's to give them a special assignment, a special task, is to commission them, is to send them on a mission. God sent his son Jesus on a mission. We'll talk about what it was in just a second. But this mission, this sending of the Son, involved his to be born of a woman. The Son of God would need to be also true man. Born of a woman summarizes the whole Christmas story in just a short phrase. Born of a woman. How did that woman become pregnant? Well, the rest of Scripture tells us that that woman became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, so that what was born was holy. Born of a woman, born under the law. This is a stunning phrase, if you remember who it's speaking of. It's speaking of God's Son, the one who was there in the beginning, the one who was with God, the one who was God, and the one who was responsible for all of creation. Without him was not anything made that was made. Here, this Son of God, also Son of Man, now goes under the law, the law which he had given, 
the law which he had written into the hearts of human beings, he now puts himself under that law. Reminded how he began that under the law stuff, not even before circumcision being under the law, but now how he continued under that law with that circumcision and growing up. Pick a number from 1 to 10 for a moment. Any number you want from 1 to 10. Now think for a moment which commandment that goes with. And take a moment to think about how have you been doing in connection with, with that one number that you picked out. As you think about how you're doing, recall Martin Luther's explanation if you can. And how he does such a marvelous job of putting the commandments in most of them in the phrase of we should fear and love God that we do not do these things, but we should fear and love God that we do do these things. And now think for a moment how you're doing with that one number you picked out and how you're doing of sins of omission and sins of commission. And now think about Jesus. He went under the law, not just for that number you picked, but for all ten of the commandments. He went under the law of God, and he kept it perfectly. He kept it perfectly in thought, word, and deed. And where you and I break down in our thoughts, remember, because we look on the outside as human beings, but God looks on the heart. And when he looks on the heart, he sees the breakdown that we have in our thoughts, what's going on in our heart and our intent. Even though other human beings can't see those sinful ideas, God sees them. And yet Jesus was under the law, and when God looked at his heart, there was only purity and holiness, not a single sin of word, and who can tame the tongue, not a single sin of thought or of deed. He went under the law, having been born of a woman. But now we get to the purpose. We're at verse Excuse me, verse 6, excuse me, verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. The whole purpose in the, the mission that the Father sent the Son on, he sent forth his Son, the whole purpose of Christmas and the whole purpose of going under the law was to redeem us who are under the law, to redeem, to buy back, to exchange and offer a ransom price for us. And here again, that problem of sin and death couldn't be solved by a drill. It couldn't be solved by all the credit cards in the world. It could only be solved by the precious blood of God's own Son, His suffering and His death. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. This uh, thought of redeeming is expressed earlier in Galatians in chapter 3. There it's, we read, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed as everyone who hangs on a tree. If you compare these two verses, the one from chapter 4 using redeeming and the one from chapter 3 using redeeming, you get two aspects of the Savior's work. In chapter 3, he redeemed us from the curse of law by dying on the cross. And there you have the passive obedience of the Savior, all the suffering that he went through perfectly to rescue us. And in the text before us, he was born under the law to redeem us. You have a reference to the active obedience of the Savior, keeping everything perfectly, so that when it comes to Good Friday, he can trade places with us. He can take upon himself our sins and pay for them with his death, and he can give to us his righteousness so that we stand before God, holy, pure, his children. So here is one tool that God uses to help us with the problem of sin and death. The special tool 
of the perfect Redeemer, Jesus. But as God was helping us with the problem of sin and death, he saw there was going to be another issue. The other issue is that after Jesus got all this work done, how would it get into the hearts of human beings? Because being born and dead and trespasses and sins, we want nothing to do with God's Son. We would, not have, we would not even see a need for Jesus to come and be our Savior the way we're born. So God had another tool to use, and that we read of in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Here's exactly the same term used about Jesus is now used about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been commissioned, has been sent specifically on a, on, a, on a mission to accomplish. And the mission that he's been sent on is to enter into the hearts of sinners. And enter into the hearts of sinners and bring them to faith. Enter into our hearts and enable us to cry to God, Abba, Father. Think of that. Think of what it means that you and I, who are on the opposite end of the spectrum from God, He's holy, we're sinful. We now can go directly to him through Jesus Christ and call him Father. The word Abba is a term of endearment. And whatever, however you refer to your father, that's how you could put what you could put in here, whether it's dad or uh, father or uh, papa, whatever it would be. That's what the Holy Spirit enables us to do, to go to God and say, you are my dear father in heaven. The heart operation of the Holy Spirit to bring us to the Christian faith. But that's not all that the Holy Spirit does. Verse 7, therefore you know, are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son then an heir of God through Christ. An heir of God through Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is promised not just for today, but it's promised until we safely inherit eternal life in heaven. And now you think about the other passages of Scripture which refer to the, all the activity of the Holy Spirit, all the gifts that he pours out, especially those three great ones mentioned in 1 Corinthians, faith, hope, and love. How he gives us confidence to pray, how he gives us encouragement, how he gives us the ability to trust, even when, to believe even when it doesn't seem reasonable to our minds. The creation of faith, the preservation of faith by the Holy Spirit. And then how he does those things, not just in each of us one at a time, but how he does it as a group for in, his, in what's called the church, and how he gives gifts that are given out in church to be used for the good of the whole fellowship, and how he promises great blessings. How he goes back to giving us the Bible, verbally inspiring this, preserving it so we can know the truth. All the work of the Holy Spirit in taking what happened on Calvary, what happened at the empty tomb, and putting that into our hearts. So that we say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. The tools that God uses to save us from our sin. A perfect Redeemer, a perfect Holy Spirit heart operator, and one more thing. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God's timing, perfect. To understand the fullness of time phrase here, we probably should back up to verse 3, right before our text. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage of the elements of the world. 
The Apostle Paul is here thinking about that long period of time in the Old Testament where the children of Israel were under this ceremonial law. And it was so that such a law that it bumped and affected your everyday activities. What are you going to have for lunch? Ceremonial law would kick in and say, here are some things you can have on your diet, you can't have these things. What are we going to do with our gifts? The ceremonial law would come in and say, it's strict 10% of your gifts are going to go to the work of the kingdom. What are you going to do about this? Well, we heard about this day, circumcision. You're going to have circumcision. What are you going to do about getting together for worship? You're going to have to do it on the Sabbath. That's God's command. That's God's law. What are you going to do about celebrating birthdays and anniversaries and special days? You're going to have to bring all kinds of sacrifices. And, and so that Old Testament ceremonial law was there, and they were under the, in bondage under the elements of the world, under this order of the Old Testament. That Old Testament ceremonial law did a couple things. One thing it did was it showed the people that they would never be able, with their own tools, to take care of sin and death. And the other thing the ceremonial law did was it pointed ahead to Jesus. You can't take care of your problem with sin and death by what you're doing, but this is the one that's going to be able to do it. So when Jesus came, when the fullness of time has come, when God said, this is the right time, Take my children from being, take the children from being children to putting them into the adult world. When he lifted the Old Testament ceremonial regulations and said, Now you stand fast in liberty that has come through Jesus Christ and make your own decisions regarding what you're going to eat and how much you're going to contribute to church and when you're going to worship and all those things. When that fullness of time had come, here comes the liberator, God's own son, Jesus. Here comes the Holy Spirit into our hearts. To enlighten us that it's not our works, but the works of Christ that are to be the focus. But that phrase, when the fullness of time had come, might also refer to a couple other things. Last weekend, Pastor Schauer led us on a study of Old Testament prophecy and fulfillment. And think what would happen if for a moment, just for a moment, if the Savior of the world was actually uh, Adam and Eve's son, Seth. So, they kind of thought, because of God's promise, that he might be the savior of the world, but they really began to realize that uh, he was not going to be a savior. And it would come several, many, many generations later. That's a helpful thing for us. Because there will always be the skeptics that say, well, yeah, you, know, you don't know if that really ever happened. But when you take a look at what God did with the Old Testament, putting together all the different markers or indicators or signposts, Here's how you can tell who's going to be the savior of the world by this, 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 and this. One of those signs was the promise of sending a special forerunner, John the Baptist. All those signs, now we look back and say, oh, that's all matched up and fulfilled in only one person. Not only that, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God put a gap of hundreds of years so that nobody could say, oh, that was all written by one person. God had a perfect timetable for the arrival of his son, Jesus Christ. And a perfect timetable in another way, if you look at it. Because of what was going on in the world at the time. Well, the Roman Empire had just risen to power and had conquered the Greek, nation, Greek Empire. And that Greek Empire had extended its empire through much of the known world and had taken the Greek language through much of the known world. And here comes the Roman Empire conquering the Greek Empire. And the Roman Empire is famous for a couple things. Pax Romanum Obiscum, the Roman peace be to you. They established kind of a world peace, and they built a great uh, uh, 
highway system. So you've got peace, a rapid transit system, and a language that can flood through the world. Perfect timing for the spread of the gospel. When the fullness of time had come, God's perfect timetable in so many different aspects, then came Jesus, and then comes the Holy Spirit. But this perfect timetable extends down to us today as well. God says, I have a perfect timetable for each of you. And we confess with the psalmist, my times are in the hands of the Lord. And he knows exactly how to get us out of this world home to heaven. We sang in the hymn a few minutes ago, stanza five, who of us death's awful road in the coming year shall tread? As we look at the beginning of a new year, how many of us will be taken home to heaven during this year? Or will Judgment Day come and take us all home to heaven? But we have this confidence. We have this confidence. With thy rod and staff, O God, comfort thou his dying bed. The Sullivan family can take comfort in knowing God's plan for Paul Sullivan to leave the world, a perfect timetable according to God's schedule. And God's promise to comfort that family with that truth and the truth of eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so as we look ahead to a new year, and we have the questions, and we wonder about what's going to happen, and will this be my last year on earth, or what will the year be like for me, we're reminded God's got the perfect timetable for each one of us. It, it isn't the same timetable because we're all different. Unless Judgment Day comes, God's timetable is specialized, tailor-made for each one of us. But make no mistake about it, just as he used the perfect timetable to send his son to the earth for us, He's got the perfect timetable to take us from earth to heaven. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned four tools up here. And I set out for you three tools. The fourth tool, Lord's Supper. And a perfect tool for what God wants to do with us regarding sin and death. He sent the Savior, He sent the Holy Spirit. He's got the perfect timetable arranged and now uses another tool, the Lord's Supper. And with this Lord's Supper, he says to us, I'm going to put with the bread the body that was actually on the cross. And with this wine, I'm going to put the blood that was actually on the cross. I'm going to perform a miracle today, and I'm going to perform that miracle so that you can have the confidence that this all points to the remission of your sins, to forgiveness, to strength. And in the first epistle of the Corinthians, we're reminded that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All of you who are participating in Lord's Supper today, at home as well, all of you who are participating in Lord's Supper are joining me as a preacher of the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel that takes place in Lord's Supper is there's a body and blood which is shed on Good Friday. But to have a body and blood to be shed on Good Friday, there had to be Christmas where that Son of God got also a human body. And before you get to Good Friday, you had to fill in the gap between Christmas and Good Friday with a perfect life in thought, word, and deed. That's our confession. Jesus, born without sin, living without sin, dying on Good Friday, we will proclaim the Lord's death till he come. He didn't stay dead. The third day he had a resurrection. We proclaim Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, and by the way, we also proclaim is coming back for us till he comes. Think of the sermon that's wrapped up in the Lord's Supper and what a tool that is used by God 
in our Christian faith. If you try to use the wrong tool, you won't get anywhere. Try to use any of these tools to take care of the problem of sin and death, you won't make it. Sometimes people try to do that. They try to use the home improvement project and stay busy with the affairs of life, not trying to think, thinking about sin. Sometimes people think that maybe they can avoid death by good medicine, good health care, and expending extra funds that way, but it doesn't work. God alone has the perfect tools. He sent the perfect Redeemer in Jesus. He sent the perfect heart operator in the Holy Spirit, and his timing was and always has been perfect for you, for me. Amen. And the peace of God, which does indeed pass all understanding, shall keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus.